Hello and welcome to the King Hero IndyCar podcast again with Kirby and Justin. Kirby, how are you? Still recovering from that uh, thriller of a race yesterday, Justin. How about you? Well, I think that's the probably the first topic of the day is uh, whether or not it was a shit show, as they referred to it as, or was it uh, a thrilling race? And I guess, Kerb, I'll just come right out of the gate and ask you, what uh, what are your views? I thought it was an entertaining race. I thought uh, plenty of action. Um, a lot of carnage was from hard driving and competitive driving and not from you know, silly mistakes or track issues or whatever. So, um, how about you? Yeah, I thought, I, I thought it was a great race. Um, I, you know, again, that's why I was kind of uh, taken aback by uh, Day's post-race interview where he referred to it as a S show many times. And I did admit it was entertaining, but, you know, kind of went to, took that purist route where, you know, it should have been a cleaner race or whatever. Kind of akin to the, the view you took of Nashville last year where I disagreed with you on that, where I thought, you know, it was fine. I don't, I don't see any need to apologize for it. I thought it was a great race. I thought it was a fun race and a good way to kick off the season. You know, felt badly for a lot of guys that didn't really get to race, who'd been waiting six months to race. And uh, so I felt badly for those guys. But other than that, it didn't deserve to be treat called uh, a shit show or whatever else wants to call it. I think it was good, hard, competitive racing. You know, yeah, I talked about it a little bit earlier, certainly more compelling than the Formula One race. And just based on the headlines I saw, had to be more compelling than the NASCAR race. So you didn't like Nashville last year. So how do you distinguish those two? Right. Because there's a lot of wrecks in Nashville and so forth and a lot of attrition. So how 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 is in your mind that they're different? Well, I don't remember my specific comments from Nashville, but I just think that there's a couple of things Nashville could do to uh, improve their track and eliminate, you know, at the far end, the downtown side of the bridge, that little turnaround section there is just awful. And um if they could clean that up, they can they can work with the section back by the stadium. But uh, if they could expand that, add another block to the track or something to to clean up that turnaround at the far end, I think it would solve a lot of problems. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you think that it's a track problem in Nashville where St. Pete, um, the attrition was kind of just due to hard racing. Is that? Yeah, that you know, St. Pete doesn't have a reputation for this kind of carnage in a, in a typical race. I just think it was a yeah, you had the largest field they've had in a long time. You had a lot of hard, a lot of close and hard racing, and it just manifests itself in a little bit more carnage than, than usual. But Curve, speaking of, I mean, like I said, to me, so I, I had the, <coughs> excuse me, I'm battling a cold. I had the, you know, back to back. I watched the Formula One race, and then I watched the IndyCar race after that. Um, normally, I, there's no way I would sit down and watch that much television uh, in a day, but uh, due to my injuries, I'm, skiing was not an option. Right. And so I did that, and it's just it was just amazing to me, like how much more entertaining the IndyCar race was than the F1 race. You know, the only thing interesting about the F1 race was Alonso's, uh, you know, relative competitiveness. The reality was, you know, uh, Verstappen just kind of ran and hid, and nobody. Nobody knows how good those cars are, but, you know, I think Russell said, you know, the, the Red Bull could end up winning every race, Just quite a statement. Different story than last year, right? Well, I did watch the first episode of... Uh, I say that sarcastically. But I, so. I, 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 you know, I caught it, Kerb. I caught <laughs> okay, it. gotcha. Um, yeah, um, I did watch the first episode of uh, DTS tonight. Before the show? 
Yes. Before, yes. Uh, surprised you didn't uh, sleep through our, our podcast time. Uh, Gunther Steiner is just like dominates that show. <laughs> At least he did the first episode. That guy gets a lot of airtime on that show. Um, well, uh, the two episodes I watched in season one, he was the most entertaining part of it. Uh, just to give you a little preview there, Curb, uh, I, you know, it wasn't overly riveting. Well, I mean, speaking of uh, docu-series or whatever you call it, uh, this St. Pete race should have uh, generated plenty of good stuff for the uh, Vice docu-series for IndyCar, right? 100%. What it, to- Total Wolf said something in the driver's survive. He said, this isn't a documentary. It's uh Oh, God, I wish I could remember what he said. But basically, he said this in a documentary. This is like, you know, a fabricated you know, <laughs> show, which they put in the show, which I thought was interesting. But anyways, Curb, uh, the arrow screen, uh, you know, speaking of drama for the uh, 100 Days to Indy, maybe for the first time, I would say it's been said many times that it saved a life. But this is probably the closest I've come to agreeing that, yeah, absolutely, it did save a life. What say you? Well, based on the pictures that were circulating today on Twitter, I would have to agree. I, it served its purpose. Even, even if it didn't save a life, it had to have saved uh, some injury. And, you know, if you saw those pictures, the way the front of that car is beaten up, you know, that he didn't have any leg injuries or foot injuries, too. That was uh, fortunate on both ends. A testament to IndyCar and those cars. This is kind of dovetails into one of the things I want to talk about, you know, because let's face it. Uh, it was a racy race. Cars were competitive. They looked good. They were clearly safe. Plenty of opportunity to test their safeness in that race with all the wrecks. And there was a Ganassi interview relatively recently that mostly talked about you know, Alex Pillow and that controversy last year. But the the part I found is that, you know, Chip, in relation to a new chassis, basically said he, he was in favor of uh, evolution, not revolution. In other words, he wants to continue to, you know, modify this chassis, uh, you know, ad infinitum instead of changing out completely. Uh, you and I have certainly lobbied for a complete change out. I think the proponents of evolution and as opposed to revolution will point to this race and say, why the hell would you change that? And Kerb, what would you be your answer to that? Well, I think they've been evolving this package for 12 years now. And um, I'm sympathetic to cost containment for the car owners and that kind of thing. But there comes a point, you know, even if you keep the engines, as you, you point out in the past, uh, nobody sees the engines, bolt a hybrid unit on it and uh, satisfy the, the car manufacturers that way. But, you keep bolting all these things onto the car. And so I just think it's time for a revolution. I'll call it a revolution in the chassis to uh, redesign the chassis, incorporate all these enhancements you've added over the last 12 years and make it a better balanced and race your car and update the look, update the particularly the oval look, which is pretty, you know, not, not as impressive, I guess, as the road course look better incorporate the, the aero screen, all that kind of thing. It would just look better and racier to a, a new generation. I would think. I think you're right. I mean, I think the to keep bolting on things, it's just, you know, it, it, it's begging for a clean sheet of paper to bounce the car out, to lighten it up and, and all these other things. You know, having said that, you know, we, we clearly know where Chip is. I think we know where RP is. Uh, like I said, it, it's a philosophical argument now, right? I will say this, that if they do choose evolution over uh, a revolution, I certainly hope they fix the oval package. That's where these cars fall down, and I'm afraid we're going to see that in a month's time. They need to fix that. Well, ran a pretty good race at Texas last year, and hopefully the uh, the weather conditions and the track conditions will will do their part. Surely you read it too. Um, in recent weeks, there were, has been some evolution in what they're going to allow the teams to do uh, on the ovals, the different little pieces that we'll never notice uh, to the naked eye, but uh, will hopefully improve improve the racing. So hopefully those that evolution will 
help uh, improve those shows. Uh, you seem to have more faith in it than I do. So well, I said I, I said I hope. Right. I said I, I said I hope. I didn't say. Yeah. I know. I didn't say I know, but I hope. Fair enough. It's you know, Kerb. It was great to see a, a good crowd. Uh, St. Pete. In fact, uh, I think you sent me a blurb that it was up. We'll see where the TV ratings come in. I haven't seen anything on that yet. Usually on Tuesday, I think. It was also uh, interesting to me. I was watching on Peacock, but they referenced that golf tournament where they actually sent the people watching the golf to another channel. Yeah. Uh, no, they went to an IndyCar race to another channel. So, you know, oh, wow. Hey, look at that. Hopefully this is an indication of IndyCar stature with NBC. Hopefully. You and I lamented just going into the season, just like it seems to me a total lack of marketing drive again. But, you know, somehow they've they've gotten the St. Pete up and running better. You know, Savior Green does a good job. You know, they sent me a ton of emails. So, you know, I was certainly, you know, I'm a former attendee at the race, and I'm sure you got the same thing. So you get you get a fair mm-hmm. amount of publicity about it. Um, so they do a good job. I'm guessing that, you know, their increases in crowd are kind of on the coattails of uh, F- Formula One and Drive to Survive. I think to a certain degree that's raising the interest in IndyCar to some, you know, rising tide raises all boats, you know, thing. And I think probably some of these venues are going to benefit from that. What do you think? Well, hopefully that event at St. Pete's kind of become part of the community over the last, what, 18 years, I think they said. So if you're getting a bit of a lift from uh, from Formula One, then so be it. I'll take it. We'll see. Texas will be interesting to see what uh, progress has been made there. This is a critical year for IndyCar. I don't think we've really talked about this, but You've got all these kind. Of, you got various tracks that seem to be kind of on death's door, right? You've got um, the TV contract, which I think expires at the end of the year. Um, no, no, that expires at the end of next year. Sorry, it expires at the end of next year. But but if you think um, about it, if you think about it, they'll be negotiating after this season. So right. I think this season so is critical. This this is TV. the critical season. Correct. So this is a critical season for that. All this controversy over you know. Uh, video games and tracks and uh, all this kind of, uh, you know, the engine, the hybrid. I mean, it's really, I, I think from a racing standpoint and, and, you know, like competition standpoint, it's almost, it's just another, it's another year, right? Because there's very little that's changed. But in terms of like the importance to actually kind of hit and nail all these races and do it right and, you know, have good crowds and have good television ratings, this is this is as big as any year for IndyCar, in my opinion. Well, it's huge, and I I, I can't help but equate the increase in spending with the the impending TV contract negotiations. But you know that's business, right? You got to do it. <coughs> Hopefully, the the marketing expenditure will pay off, and they'll see the wisdom in, in continuing at that level going forward. Yeah, Kirk, uh, can you indulge me? Because one of the things I do want to watch going forward is this whole leader circle thing. Uh, okay. For those of you who are not IndyCar people, why the hell are you listening to us right now? But let's just say you're not. <laughs> yeah. So the Lear Circle is a recently reduced amount of money that goes to every team that has a participant that lands in the top 22, Kerb? Been 22 in the past, and we believe it's still 22 this year. Right. And I think it's just a shade over a million bucks a year. Right? It, used to, it used to be a shade over, now I think it's a shade under. But, uh, okay. Either way, it's it's a million bucks. So if a team doesn't place in the top 22, it's 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 a pretty big haircut. Matt, I mean, it depends on the team, right? But for some of these smaller teams, it's it's meaningful money. So there's going to be, if if I've done my math right, curve, there's going to be four people out 
this year because the fourth Ganassi car can't participate because it's uh, the whole thing we won't get into. Basically, every team's limited to three liter circle entries. Unless you're unless you're Andretti, who's grandfathered in. Right. So there's like four guys that are not going to get leader circle money this year. And so the question then becomes, there's a race at the top, obviously, who's going to win the, the series and win the championship. But there's also a race at the bottom, and that's to stay out of, you know, 23 through 27 in the standings. Curb, I think, you know, we, we talked a little bit about this last time. I mean, you got to feel like Peterson's a candidate for that bottom tier. Stingray Rob, I, I would put in there. But then after that, you know, you got to start going through some fairly – you know, substantial names to say they're going to not make it. Last episode, we alluded to this uh, briefly, and um, I anyway nominated uh, the following as possibilities not to make those, not to make the cut. So you got Jack Harvey. I nominated him. I don't know if you would, but Augustine Canapino, you would think he would struggle to make the top 22 just based on inexperience in the series and open wheel cars and all that kind of thing. I threw in Derek Daly and I threw in Devlin DeFrancesco. Connor um, Daly. Connor Daly, I'm sorry. I think right. Derek Daly would be a good, you know, if he was, he probably wouldn't be, make it. Derek probably would, but I don't know about Connor. So, um, so anyway, those are my four candidates in addition to Peterson and Rob. Uh, you know, Santino might be in danger, Santino Perucci, because he's with Foyt. I'm optimistic that Santino should be able to bring it home more often than not and finish the races. And if he can do that, I would think you ought to be able to finish in the top 22. Same for Helio, but you got to throw both those guys in the danger zone too, I think. I find myself just like rooting for people that I don't want it to be in there. Example would be uh, Connor Daly, right? He's a guy that I would hate to see not make it, but I agree with you. He's a candidate at this point. He's nowhere near uh, Renus in qualifying, um, which, you know, doesn't bode well. Canapino's got to be uh, included in that conversation just, again, based on the lack of experience in open wheel and IndyCar racing, tracks and all that kind of thing. And uh, DeFrancesco is with Andretti. Andretti could be strong enough to lift him out of the, the danger zone there, but uh, for right now, I think you got to include him. Can't, with Canapino, in my opinion, that's like one where you get excited that he's you know staying above that line, right? Then you can really root for, in my view. He'll be one to watch. Brought it home yesterday um, through a lot of carnage, and really... He didn't qualify that badly either. Started 21st, which put out 27 cars. Him and Marcus Armstrong are probably the only ones that have never seen that track before. Absolutely. Look, and uh, he's, he got a lot of props for it. Mentioned it many times, and it is an amazing achievement coming from his background to do that well. So, I mean, I think there's there's a guy you can root for. And like, hey, he's, you know, keep him in that top 22. I think that's uh, another story to watch this year. That'd be a huge win for his team at the end of the season if he could do that. Curb, I feel bad that we haven't, but it's almost typical that we haven't mentioned the guy who actually won the race uh, <laughs> in St. Pete, which just seems to be par for the course with this guy. We have we both struggle to give him the respect he probably deserves. I don't think we're alone in that. And yet, at the end of the day, there's uh, Marcus Erickson on top of the, the chart. Four wins um, in the last, what, less than three seasons. Qualified better than he had last year. So, I mean, that was a, an area of improvement for him. And at least in the first race, he's shown improvement there. Hopefully he can keep that up. I got to tell you, I, he, he might win the championship, and I'd still probably feel the same way. I, I, I can't even explain it. You just give all the credit to the Chip Ganassi Racing, huh? I can't even explain it. But I just think it probably has to do with kind of how he came into the series, right? And just just it just didn't seem to be there. You know, and you kind of wrote them off. And I've never gotten past that. A lot of folks um, come from other forms of racing and takes them a little bit of time to get acclimated, especially they've never done ovals before. You know, I think he had a few shining moments here with Aaron McLaren, but that, that Aaron McLaren team was not 
the team it is now, totally different situation. It was a learning year for him. And, uh, but once he got involved with Ganassi, even the season before he won, he was, he was always racing better than he was qualifying and he was uh, showing pretty well. I thought he's been there. Just nobody noticed him. Yeah. Look, getting the respect he quote unquote deserves. I think the real key for him is to be qualifying in that fast six every, every week. That'll get that respect there quicker than anything else. And, uh, that's what you need to do to win the championship anyways, my opinion. Like I said, I don't I don't ever mean to show the guy any disrespect. It's just he's kind of doing it quietly. The Swedish way, right? I have to mention this. I, I pontificated on the last uh, podcast that I thought there was this kind of potential that Newgarden would get in a hole early in the season and feel a lot of pressure to get out of there and start making bad decisions. You know, he'll win races. But also, you know, wreckers or checkers kind of mentality. This race kind of maybe uh, gave some credence to that philosophy. Let's see you. Uh, certainly didn't uh, knock down your philosophy or your theory. He started out seasons worse than this before and still came back to finish in the top two. So I'm going to say they think he still could do that. He just seems very uptight. He's got he's got four weeks to cool off. So I think uh, yeah, this, is a, this is a good race to screw up on. In general, he just seems uptight. Did he get married? Well, a couple of years ago. Yeah, well, uh, it's now explained. Yesterday, he didn't stick around in for an interview, right? He pretty much ran back to the the parking no, lot. I saw him like some guys tried to high five him and he didn't didn't give him one. No, and he he wasn't waiting around for that camera crew. <laughs> and, uh, no. So um, so I thought of you and your theory um, as that was, but you know, I don't think it's any different. He's been the last handful of years, and I think that like, he still believes he can win every race. I don't think he's gonna lose his mind quite just yet. Okay, I'm not calling that either, but. I'm seeing potential for that to actually happen. And that reminds me of an anecdote I read where, um, you know, since Marcus Erickson won his first race back at Detroit a couple of years ago, uh, he's now won four races. The only driver in the series to win more races is Newgarden with seven in that time span. So another accomplishment for Erickson that nobody seems to notice. You're going to be very popular in Sweden, Kerm. Well, hopefully, hopefully we're gaining there, gaining some listeners. But um, well, actually, we have been. I, I so uh, you know, you know, hello Sweden. Uh, they've actually we've been pretty big over there as of late. So well, good. Maybe maybe those maybe those guys that were uh, at the bar yesterday, maybe they're listening on their way home. I like how they drink. Yes. Right. yes. I was never I was never a dress up in the uniform kind of guy. You know, that's not my scene or whatever. Um, I think if you're up in like Sweden or Finland or something like that, you can. You can be a bit more eccentric because let's face it, there's a lot of bad weather up there. Whatever, I mean, it's not my thing, but I do, I do respect their capacity to drink, which you know they were, they seem to be pretty hard at it throughout the day. Did it surprise you that they never had any sweepers or or blowers out there cleaning marbles off the track? I, I did have that thought. The yellows in IndyCar do seem to be extremely long. Yeah, I, I didn't see any jet blowers or anything working there, and that was strange because there was. A ton of marbles there. A ton. Years past, that was usually part of the excuse for long yellows, right? Was to clean the track off. Kerb, at what point in your life, and I actually remember this for me, did you become aware of the term marbles? Marbles? Yes. I couldn't tell you. As, as it relates to auto racing. I, I couldn't tell you. I don't know. I can for some reason. I remember it vividly. And the gentleman describing it was none other than Bobby Unzer. I remember Bobby Unzer doing that. I just couldn't tell you when or where. And the race was at Detroit. Is that right? Yeah. They went into this long explanation about marbles and, you know, getting off the racing line, getting into the marbles. And I mean, it's just funny, like certain things you remember in your life. And like, I just have a photographic memory of that. Well, that's, 
Uh, that's impressive. I remember lots of useless things too, and I, I don't remember that one. Here's to remembering useless things. Right. Um, at the same time, forgetting my anniversary and everything else. Um. Okay. All right, Curb. Let's let's. Uh, I know it's been short, but it's been long. <laughs> okay. Uh, you said you watched on Peacock. I did. Did they have a real show on Peacock after the race was over? Not that I saw, just interviews. Hardly any recap of the yeah. race, just like three interviews of the podium guys or something. And that was about well, it did run. I mean, the, the race ran on and on. It doesn't appear that there's any kind of formal post-race show, at least that I saw. And, and I'm going to say right now, <laughs> bring back Paul Tracy. <laughs> you know, these other uh, big league series, they seem to have like two different crews on each broadcast, right? you got the booth guys, and then you got a couple other guys like in the – the paddock or somewhere, bring Paul Tracy back, give him Townsend Bell or give him James Hinchcliffe and split the team up. Why can't, why can't James Hinchcliffe do a paddock walk or being a grid walk? Paul Tracy, half the time he didn't know what was going on and had, you know, was kind of clueless at times and said stupid stuff, but that has made it entertaining. You know, I mean, Hinchcliffe is way more informed and way more insightful and stuff like that, but him and Townsend Bell are too much alike, I think. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And the, and that that's why it doesn't work. It's like you, you needed that Paul Tracy to just kind of throw the the craziness in there every once in a while. Well, you know? kind of the, well I mean, he was, he's the, the Uncle Bobby role, right? The 100%. Combination of knowledge and craziness. Yes. Yeah, Paul Page, Sam Posey, Uncle Bobby, the greatest three guys to ever call races. And Sam Posey is a complete idiot, you know, honestly. Right. But, but, you know, it all worked. And I think with Hinchcliffe and Townsend, you got two guys that are just a little too buttoned down. And then add Lee Diffie to that. And that's, uh, you know, you got a trio of buttoned down people. And just you need somebody that's going to mix it up a little bit. But I don't think NBC had the stomach for it. I think once James Hinchcliffe became available, they weren't going to miss the chance. All three of those guys do good jobs. They are missing something. They're missing. They're missing a little crazy, and they need a. They need a little crazy. Need a little crazy. And um, you know, the one thing I'll say about the handful of Formula One races I've watched in recent years is they have two-man booths and they seem to have better conversations because they're not trying to fit three people in, you know, to the conversation. Um, That's an interesting point. And, you know, they have no, nothing I, I think that I think you're right. I mean, like, I watch F1 on F1 TV on the, and it's a different feed than what's on ESPN. And yeah. they actually have three guys. And, yeah, they talk all over each other. Is that right? Okay. Yeah. So no. there may be something to that. All right, Kerb, that's it. Let's uh, Let's wrap her up. Good night, everybody. All right, guys. Uh, what? what uh, Forever. Twitter, 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 Twitter. Oh, at Hero IndyCar. H-I-R-O IndyCar. Uh, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you again before Texas. Yeah.